This is Ecclesiastes chapter 9, and it's verses 1 to 10. Let me read it to you. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, And forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. May God uh, bless us with ears to hear what he is saying today. And as I said before, yes, the ESV was actually the clearer translation, I thought. It is a bit of a confusing passage. Uh, but I call today's uh, message memento more, which is a Latin phrase, and that's not, not me just trying to confuse you all more. Uh, but we, we, I think, understand this phrase. Uh, a memento is, is something we're familiar with, isn't it? We have mementos in our homes, trinkets that we might have brought back from some holiday, some event, some, you know, something, and that we keep around our homes to remind us of them. You know, the classic one is you come back from the beach with seashells, don't you? And the seashells live there, and you can look at them, you can hold them, and you relive those memories, don't you? Yeah, and I'm sure you've got some mementos around your house as well. Well, memento is the Latin word for uh, memory or to remember. Uh, More is similar to our words for mortal or mormit. It means death. So memento more means remember death. And specifically, it means remember your own death. Uh, obviously, uh, that's a bit hard to do if you haven't died. You can't really remember something that's in the future. But what it's saying is be conscious that you will die. Uh, because when you're conscious that you are going to die, it affects how you live here and now. It, it changes how you live. And look, we've all experienced this, haven't we? You know, when someone close to us dies, perhaps someone of a similar age, or even someone younger than us, uh, it has an effect, doesn't it? It gets us thinking about our own mortality and what we're doing with our lives. It is a sobering thing. It grabs our attention when we go to a funeral for someone who is younger than us, doesn't it? And it should. 
Uh, likewise, if we have a close call with death, it gets our attention. You know, we're driving home in the car and we're at an intersection and a car races through and we realize I was just a few meters away from not driving home. I mean, that gets us thinking, it gets us reflecting, and it should. Quite possibly, we go home and we hold our family, our children a little tighter, don't we? We've had this experience, haven't we? We all know death is a reality. All of us know it, but we're very, very good at pushing it out of our minds and ignoring it. But when we are confronted with it, we start reflecting. What am I doing? What are my values? Is what I'm investing my time and investing my life in, does it really matter? And you know, there's even a memento more art. There is an art that goes with this. It's not the um, most chipper of art. Uh, usually the main component of memento more art, which is painting, usually, uh, is a skull for sort of obvious reasons to rem- remind that you too will die and be a skull soon, but it has other components as well. Often they include an hourglass for, you know, time is a ticking, and you might stop, but the the sands of time do not. Uh, Often they might include a candle, uh, whether lit or extinguished, often extinguished with their sense that just as a candle has a finite life and will come to an end and go out, poof, one day, so will you. As I said, really, really chipper, eh? Uh, But the point was, this art would get you to reflect on your life. As you considered your mortality, it would get you thinking about what you were doing. And many cultures have this this concept of memento more in them somewhere. This is not a Christian concept. This is a human concept because it's human experience. We all die, don't we? But the teacher of Ecclesiastes does something different with it. He wants us to get us thinking about our death, our our mortality, but he has a different goal for us. It might seem at first reading like he's just telling us to, you know, seize the day. Uh, To use a different Latin phrase, we probably all know, carpe diem, you know, seize the day, make the most of life. Uh, And a little bit he's doing that, but he's doing more than that. He is. He is preparing us, preparing you to live in a frustrated world. He is. To live in a fallen world, a world in which we often don't know why parts of it are happening. We might be able to work out why some parts are happening, but there are other parts we, we can't explain. And they're, ignore, they're annoying, they're frustrating. And this is a world where, as Ecclesiastes says, the good and the bad both die. And that doesn't seem fair. And this is what is unique about Ecclesiastes. He pushes this uncomfortable point of pain. We'd often like to ignore this, to push it to the side, but he doesn't let us. He doesn't let us do that. No, instead he wants us to focus on our death and he gets us to focus on our death in the midst of an uncertain life and it hurts. You know, I was thinking about Ecclesiastes this week. I think Ecclesiastes, the teacher of Ecclesiastes, is a bit like a doctor asking, look, if I push here, does it hurt? We go, yes, that does hurt. He goes, I'm going to push more then. 
And he says, does it hurt? And we go, yes, that hurts. Stop, stop hurting me. And he's like, no, I've got to push more until you get the point. Because his point is that as we look at this, our mortality, that we might discover the ability, yes, the ability to have daily joy in God's goodness in our lives. That we would have daily joy, hear that, daily joy in God's goodness in our lives, a joy uh, we need to live faithfully to the end. And that's the point today, that you would have daily joy in the midst of all the uncertainties of this world and the uncertainties of your life and the things that don't seem fair or seem right, that you would yet have joy in God and live faithfully before him to the end. And I think that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I think we need that. And that would be in my encouragement to you today that as painful as it might be, as painful as it might seem like I'm putting my finger on something that's painful, the end is good. The end is meant to be good. Well, let's get into it. So verse 1. But all this I laid laid to heart, examining it all, all that's happened before it in chapter 8, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is to love or hate, men does not know, both are before him. Ecclesiastes, and I want you to remember this, is starting from a place of faith here. The righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Of God. He's not saying that the wicked aren't in the hand of God as well. He's not saying that they're outside of God's control, but he is, is saying something comforting, something assuring that the righteous and the wise are in the hand of God. He cares for them. And I pray that that is you and that you know that that God has you. He's got a grip on you. There is a relationship there. And this is important because if we don't believe in God, we don't believe in God, then honestly, the fairness of this world, well, it might be annoying, but we don't really have any reason to get too uptight about it. You know, if there's, there's no God who's, who's good and cares for us, then the, the unfairness of this world is just stuff that happens, isn't it? Can't get too uptight about it if you don't like it. No, it's when you have a faith, when you have a trust, when you have a relationship with the God we claim to care for us, that this life actually gets a bit more difficult in some ways. What do you do when it's hard? What do you do when it doesn't seem fair? What do you do in those situations? And Ecclesiastes points out, sort of a, a first uncomfortable point, point of pain, that there is indeed uncertainty in this relationship with God. There's no uncertainty about whether he's there, not necessarily uncertainty about whether he cares for us, but there is uncertainty in the sense that there are things, as you walk with God, things that you won't be able to explain. What is God doing in this event? And I think if you're honest, you've got to go, I know God's good. I know God is present. uh, But I'm not necessarily sure what he is doing in the midst of this. And we can look around the world or at our own lives and I think we can find examples, can't we? I mean, what is God doing 
in the midst of what is going on in Ukraine? I don't know. Like, honestly, I don't know. That's where I'm at. I'm sure God is doing something. And I'm sure that he is working it for the good of his people. But actually, I can't explicitly say yet. And this makes life hard. And again, Ecclesiastes, the teacher, is drawing our attention to this, as painful as it might be, as much as we might want to just sort of ignore it and push it to the side so often. Now, he wants us to look upon us, that there are things that might look like love and hate in this relationship with God. And this gets our attention, doesn't it? Whoa, love and hate. That's a bit uncomfortable. You saying that God loves or hates us? I mean, that makes us squiggle a bit, doesn't it? And you know, this is an example of Ecclesiastes, the teacher pushing that uncomfortable button that we don't particularly want to think about. You know, I think the the teacher of Ecclesiastes, the writer, he could have easily have said uh, good and bad, but instead he makes it personal, love and hate. And this is our experience, isn't it? If we think about it, you know, when life sucks, Uh, as is the example today, which I didn't know was coming, but when cancer comes and knocking on the door, we're not particularly questioning whether it's good or bad. No, we know it's bad. We're questioning, God, what are you doing? Are you loving or are you hating me in this? That's, That's the struggle. That's the hard point. And Ecclesiastes, the teacher, is keeping it personal. And his point is that the life of faith, the life that trusts God, includes this experience of uncertainty. There are times things happen in our lives. Actually, sometimes I think it's even harder when they happen in someone else's life whom we love, we care about deeply, and we go, God, what are you doing? Because for all intents and purposes, this looks terrible. Just terrible. And I think we've got a great, well, there's lots of examples of this, but an unfortunately good example of this in the Bible in the story of Job. We looked at the story of Job a while ago. Job, we are told, explicitly was the most righteous man in the land. More than anyone else, he walked with God and he lost it all. He basically lost it all. In fact, we are told that God esteemed Job and yet he lost it all. His friends, Job's friends, interpreted this as God's judgment. They were wrong. And Job struggled with his relationship with God. He wasn't sure. He wasn't sure. Let me put this another way to you. I'm going to put it as a question to you. If someone is wealthy, is that a sign of God's love? I'm seeing some shaking heads, which I'm very glad to see. Uh, No, it's not, or at least not necessarily. If they have health, wealth, and prosperity, does that prove that God loves them? No, no, it does not. What about if someone suffers? If they lose a child, if they get sick, is that a sign that God hates them? No. No, it's not. Uh, It's trickier than that. 
and we need to know it. And we can know this theoretically, but at times it comes really close to us when it can start to feel like hate. And we can start to question God. This is uncomfortable to think about, but we need to think about this. Ecclesiastes, God actually, wants us to think about this because this is going to happen in our relationship with him. And the problem that we struggle with is that our faith and trust in God doesn't seem to make our lives any easier or better or longer. No, the same fate comes upon us all, as Ecclesiastes points out with a list, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the evil, the clean and the unclean, the one who sacrifices, obviously has a relationship with God, and the one who doesn't sacrifice, no relationship with God effectively, the good and the sinner, the one who takes an oath, a promise before God, again, there's a relationship there of some form, and the one who avoids saying anything to God, who won't make an oath or say anything before God. They all get the same fate, Ecclesiastes points out. They all die. And in fact, sometimes the wicked seem to have it easier in life. Sometimes they even seem to live longer. And this is a point of pain in the life of faith. What do we do with this? Because honestly, it doesn't encourage us, does it? (laughs) No. If anything, it gets us to question God's goodness. Now, the teacher of Ecclesiastes here, he's just looking at life under the sun. That's a phrase he uses, and it's actually a definition. He's just looking at life under the sun, life in this world. He is limiting himself to that scope. For the moment, he is ignoring Heaven and hell. He is ignoring an afterlife. But just to be clear, Ecclesiastes speaks strongly elsewhere of God's eventual judgment of everyone for everything. But his argument right here, what he wants us to look at, what he wants us to think about and consider, is that this life and what we do with the seeming unfairness and how this is a challenge to our faith, to our continued walk with God, In fact, Ecclesiastes goes so far as to call this experience of unfairness. God, I have a a, a relationship with you. I'm trying to walk with you. I'm trying to be righteous with you. And Ecclesiastes goes so far as to call this experience evil. He's got a way of capturing our attention. That is strong language. And he is pushing this uncomfortable button to get us to think about it. And he calls for our attention with a strange encouragement that we can do something about it for now. But time is limited. He tells us in verse 4, But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Again, Ecclesiastes, the teacher, he's not denying an afterlife here, but he is saying that once you die, once you are in the grave, that's it. No more working it out for you. Your time is up. But if we are living, which you all are, I can attest, uh, there is hope. Whoever we are, 
and whatever our position is in life, and hear that. You know, dogs in the ancient Near East, uh, they were not the friendly pets uh, that we have today. That's not the way they related to them or generally thought about them. I'm sure someone had a pet dog somewhere. But no, generally they didn't keep dogs as pets. Pets were considered a lowly animal that people looked down upon and avoided. Bit of a different mindset than we have today. Lions, by contrast, I mean, they were fearful, but they were strong and noble animals. You definitely wanted to be a lion instead of a dog. And we get this sense, don't we? You know, that the CHB lions sounds a lot better than the CHB dogs, doesn't it? I, I don't think we have a CHB dogs around, probably for understandable reasons. And yet Ecclesiastes starts to encourage us here, and it is an encouragement that even if you are a lowly dog and living, you have more than a dead lion. Even if we have no great wealth or nobility or status, if we have life here and now, we have more than a dead king who has already died. You know, I went to the, the museum in Waipawa this past week uh, my folks were in town, we took them, uh, it was a bit of a rainy day, so a great place to take the kids, uh, especially, can I say, if you haven't been, the interactive part, it's just sort of a small room, but the kids were loving that, it was quite funny to see my son uh, trying to use a typewriter, and he's tapping on this typewriter, and it, this weird moment where I have to say, no, you, you actually have to push the buttons, <laughs> like it doesn't do anything if you just sort of tap them, uh, which is the exact opposite of what I say when he uses a computer keyboard, I say, don't smash the buttons, like just... Just tap them, it works like that. And I was like, yeah, the typewriter is not a computer and a computer is not a typewriter. Anyway, we were there. We are having a good time. Uh, but in the museum, there are lots of photos like this. Uh, and I love looking at these photos. And I wonder about these people and their stories. Don't you? Like, what was life like for them and what happened? But the fact is, time is up for them. Like, they've lived their life. They had their chance, and that's that. And you know what? I need to take this to heart. I do. Because however my life compares to theirs, this is the time God has given me. This is the time to seize and to live faithfully. Because if I don't, all too soon, my own story will be up. And I'll be forgotten. I will. No one will really care. Oh, another mic. There's thousands of those. I'll be a nameless photo somewhere that means basically nothing to anyone. Indeed, a living dog is better off than a lion in the grave because we have the hope of a God-gifted opportunity. That's what this life is, a God-gifted opportunity. This life is a gift of a chance to walk with God if we will. And the way we do this is found in the final verses, verses 7 to 10. I want to read them again. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love or the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. 
Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Oops, went too far. Let me put these final verses, if I can, in a bit of a list. I hope this has helped. Uh, We take our bread with joy, we drink our wine with a merry heart. God's approval of our works, uh, that's his acceptance. Uh, Wear white clothes, festive garb, actually. So have this, you know, be dressed, ready to celebrate, I suppose. Um, Have oil on your head, that's about blessing, knowing that you are blessed in life. Enjoy your marriage, which is about enjoying the relationship God has given you. And working hard because we were made to work and achieve in this world. Now let's remember there are many things in life uh, we don't know. Even as people of faith who trust in an immense, the immense and saving goodness of God, there are things which we don't understand. I do not know why God allows some people, including his own people, to have stillborn babies. I don't. I just don't. I don't know why some spouses or children walk away. I don't know. Sometimes I can take a bit of a guess, but honestly, that's about it. It's it's a bit of a guess. And it's really perplexing, and I would love to know. I know that that we live with the consequences of a fallen world, that sin affects us all, all of us, and it sucks, it is terrible, but it isn't always clear what God is doing and why he allows these things to happen, most of all to his own people. In Ecclesiastes, the teacher tells us that we won't always know. Might know sometimes, but we won't always know. But we can always trust God We can always trust God, but we won't always know this side of heaven, what God is doing in this world and in our lives. And part of the way to live with this uncertainty and tension is to live in what we do know. Don't forget it. Oh, the uncertainty will be there in all of our lives and places. It will. But don't miss what God has given us and how he has been good to us. No, instead, take hold of it. And let's take them as they are listed, indeed, by the teacher. First up, bread. You know, Jesus taught the disciples and asked to pray in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. And I think that echoes the experience of the Israelites as they were traveling around the wilderness and they collected manna day by day. They just collected manna for each day, bread for each day. And I bring this up because our trust, and I think Ecclesiastes would say our joy in God's provision is to be daily, every day. This day, you are called to have joy in God's provision to you. And if you don't, I think you're actually going to miss something you need. You're going to miss a joy of that relationship that you are meant to have, that He cares for you. Bread, our bread, our, and, and let's be honest, bread was just the, the, the common food that they had. I think it's more than just bread. But our bread reminds us that God cares for us and we should take it with joy as such. Now look, this is not saying go and be gluttons, is it? It's not saying that. But it is calling us to enjoy that bread and to respond in faith and see in it as God's goodness to us. He is feeding us. He is caring for us. 
And I think it is this joy which sustains us, which keeps us going. Uh, Likewise, our wine. Now, some of you will be very excited about this part, uh, and that's fine. But Ecclesiastes is not saying for a moment to go and get drunk. He's not saying that. Wine, again, was the common drink of that time. It's actually a very, very common drink, uh, but it was also a celebratory drink. And our drink should, as much as it might make us merry, uh, should make us merry before God as a sign of his blessing, his goodness to us. Uh, the third one about God's approval, this needs a little bit of explanation, but it's actually uh, sort of the key to these verses. It's the basis for them all. It is not saying that everything we want to do is already approved by God, like God has given us some, I don't know, you know get out of jail free card of like, just whatever you want to do, just go and do it. It is not saying that. That would be silly and wrong. But it is saying that the starting place, the starting place for our relationship with God is that he approves us. He does. Evan, I'm just using you as an example, Evan. Is that okay? Thank you. Good. (laughs) You are a good example. As a child of God, God approves Evan as his child. Does he not? You would affirm that? And that should give Evan, indeed, he has that relationship with God, but that should give him a confidence and peace in his life. It's not to say Evan gets everything right, and whatever Evan does (laughs) is, you know, two thumbs up from God. But Evan should know God's approval over his life. He should. And I think that is important for us all to know that in our lives. Again, it's not to say that we get everything right. As we're reminded elsewhere in the New Testament, God disciplines the one he loves. He disciplines his children. He corrects us, absolutely. But the foundation of it at all is that we have an approval from God. And if there is one approval you want, (laughs) one approval we really need, uh, it is indeed God's approval. We should be living from a secure place, a place of relationship with God, a place of confidence and peace. Well, onto the white clothes. As I mentioned before, these were festive clothes, and God's people, yes, at times we mourn in our lives, but there should be underneath that, that sackcloth of mourning, there should be a celebration in our lives that we are God's that we are indeed his, and that we do actually have something to celebrate every day, even though there are quite a lot of days we don't feel like it. Well, honestly. But whatever happens to us, our joy in being God's children will not be taken from us, will it? It won't, and we need to hold on to this. Uh, Likewise, the oil is not so much about us blessing ourselves as it is about us recognising God's blessing in our lives. That is the life of faith. And yes, we are to enjoy our marriage as a gift of God. Uh, Actually, it will be over soon. It's sort of a bit more there, I know, but, you know, it's theme of the day in some ways, isn't it? Uh, It will be over soon. Marriage isn't a reality in heaven, as Jesus teaches us. But enjoy this relationship as a gift of God. Lean into it. You know, I think with all of these things, all of these things, we could see how someone could look, gosh, I'm going to die soon. 
And one response of this, this is not a response of faith, would be, well, I need to just go and get as much as I can in this life. That is not a response of faith. Another response to it would be, what does it all matter? I'm just, I'm miserable. Uh, It doesn't mean anything. That is also not a response of faith. Now, this is a faithful response, recognizing that if I have a marriage, this is indeed a gift from God. Will it always be peaches and cream? No. Am I meant to enjoy it? Am I meant to enjoy my marriage as a gift of God? Is that good and right? Is that a a faithful response? Yeah, it is. It is, and that will actually be a blessing to me as well. Lastly, uh, that we are made to work. God designed us to work and to achieve, and we should enjoy this work as work given to the Lord or work for the Lord, as Colossians 3 verse 23 tells us. And this changes us, it changes our work, our relationship with our work, which is not always great, <laughs> changes it from just being something that pays the bills or let us go on a holiday. Those are both good things to do. But it changes us to something that relates to God. We serve God in our work, whatever we do. We're doing it as to the Lord, and that's an incredible thing. And do you see there how this is, this is a, a marked change? Do you see how Ecclesiastes, the teacher, getting us to think about the shortness of our lives and indeed the uncertainty in them doesn't lead to despair, but Ecclesiastes is actually, the teacher is calling us to recognize our relationship with God and to lean into it. Ecclesiastes is calling us to live daily faith in God in the midst of our frail and uncertain times. He is calling us to see God's goodness and how he relates to us and cares for us and blesses us in this world. And we need that. Because life is really hard, and sometimes it's really, really dark. And we need this. Let me give you some questions to think about this. And this is where your card comes in. Card and pen. What has God given you? That's what I, that's what I want you to answer on that piece of card. What has God given you? What do you, can you recognize in your life that God has given you? Make a list of them. We'll take a a minute or two to do this. Honestly, I've sort of lost track of how long that is now. I was watching my watch and then I forgot where it started. Here's the, here's the sort of the trick about this. it's not actually about how long that list is. It's not actually about how many things are on that list. Uh, it's actually about recognizing, rightly recognizing, what God has given us. It might be our health. It might be a job. It might be a family. It might be a home. It might be a, a skill or ability. It might be 101 other things. But really, do we recognize them as from God, and are you faithfully enjoying them? Are these things a blessing to you, and does that blessing lead you back to God? In some ways, that's a yes or no answer. Uh, I hope it is a challenging answer. I hope it's an encouraging answer. 
But lastly, what can you do today about it? How can you walk in faith today and enjoy God's blessing and kindness to you, his people? There is going to be uncertainty in your life. Things will happen to you and people around you that that you, in all honesty, won't be able to explain. And that doesn't mean you're unfaithful or anything. You've just been honest. And you can still know who God is, but do not lose sight of how God has blessed you and is blessing you, is providing for you, is caring for you, is leading and guiding you on in your life. Recognize those. Even enjoy those. Make much of those so you can make much of God in the midst of the uncertainty of this world. There's also a strange challenge here. You know, Ecclesiastes, the teacher said, a living dog is better than a dead lion. It's quite memorable isn't it? And rightly so. And and I love it in a sense that there is this little bit of an an evangelistic bent to the teacher here in this part. A little bit he's appealing. Appealing to anyone. Look, whatever you think of yourselves, you might think of yourselves as the lowest of the low. But if you're living, then God has given you an opportunity to respond to him. Indeed, as Ecclesiastes says, to have hope in the midst of this world. A hope found in him. Ecclesiastes wants us to have hope in this world so that we will persevere to the end and enjoy the next. He cares so much about here and now because he knows that's what leads on to the next. I care which we read about so many times and so many ways throughout the rest of the Bible. And I care which I will testify here as well that indeed leads us into eternity if we will believe him and if we will trust him. If we will know his goodness to us, most of all, yes, in the gift of his son. But a goodness that flows, overflows to many other parts of our lives that we should recognize as well and that we need to recognize if we are to persevere in this world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are so large, so great, so big, so far beyond us. Indeed, your works we cannot truly fathom. All that you are up to, we do not know. But, oh Lord, we recognize that you are indeed the God who has left heaven for us, that your Son has come and entered our world, our sin-fraught, broken world, and indeed taken our sin and brokenness on to redeem us, to save us for yourself, that we might have a place in your family, a place we do not deserve, an approval, and acceptance, a favor we do not deserve, but one which you give to us, whoever we are, if we will indeed trust in you. Sometimes, Lord, I confess that we can take this for granted. We can lose sight of your goodness in amongst all of the brokenness and uncertainty of this world. 
Help us to be better at recognizing your kindness, recognizing your provision, recognizing your good design in our life, that you do indeed call us to a fullness and abundance of life, that yes, starts here and now, and thankfully extends beyond the grave, indeed into your presence and for all eternity. Oh Lord, may we rejoice in you. May we take joy in you this day and every day. The God who cares for us and leads us on, I pray. Amen.